0: trigger warning. This episode discusses topics that may be difficult to hear. Abuse of children and exploitation of them is discussed. If this is something that may trigger you, then please do not listen. Hey, murder fans! This is the first episode for the month of June, and therefore, I will be announcing the name of the winner of the free 30-minute reading. Thank you all so much for leaving as many reviews as you did and the kind words that you left about All of the episodes and about this podcast in general, it just really made my heart so happy and made me feel even more so that I am doing exactly what I am meant to be doing in this world. So without further ado, we'll give a crappy drum roll. The winner of the free 30-minute reading is K-E-K-1, who happens to have an Instagram who matches her account, so I will be letting her know and posting that she won And in the future, I will run this operation a lot more smoothly in that I will ask you to screenshot and DM so that I know whose little code name is whose. Thankfully, I was able to recognize this one. So now to the juicy stuff. If you're a parent or a caregiver of a child, I want you to stop and think about where your children are right now. Now I want you to think about how long you've gone without knowing where they are. Has it been while they're riding a bike to a friend's? Have they been at camp where you've known they're in someone else's care but maybe not specifically where they are? You probably get a check-in from them here and there though, right? You're aware of their safety and you know that if anything went wrong you would hear from another responsible adult. If your child misses school, the school typically notifies you in the event that you failed to notify them first. And this is done to ensure the child's wellness and safety at all times. Now, I'm a mom myself, and I know without a doubt that if my child were to be missing for an entire 18 days, I would know about it. It would not be possible for my child to be gone for that long before it was brought to my attention. And it almost seems unthinkable, Right. Well, 8-year-old Relisha Rudd of Washington, D.C. was missing for 18 days before her mom, Shamika Young, was approached by social workers, asking her where her daughter was. Please realize when I say this, that I mean Shamika did not know her daughter was missing. The social workers were the ones to inform her. Now, Relisha has been described as an upbeat, smart, and spunky little girl who loved going to school and interacting with the other kids. Her home life was less than ideal as Relisha and her family, her mother Shamika, her three younger brothers, and her mother's boyfriend Antonio Wheeler were living in the old Washington, D.C. General Hospital, which had been converted into a homeless shelter. I want you guys to look this place up, and I'll post it on Patreon, and all of the links that are ever posted related to an episode are available for everyone, not just for patrons, okay? So please, go ahead, click it, go see what it looks like. It looks haunting as hell. So this is the largest shelter in the district and I've read reports that the shelter was never really fully converted, that random doors would have boxes of medical records and medical supplies behind them, but then also that there was so much security in this building that residents were the only ones authorized to be in the building and that they had to go through a security checkpoint almost like TSA style before they could enter the building. Further, there were employees stationed in the corners of the halls with keys to each residence room because the residents themselves didn't have keys. The door would lock automatically behind the resident. Children were not allowed anywhere on the premises without either a parent or guardian with them. And from what I understand, most of the residents there were single mothers and their children. Now, Antonio was Shamika's boyfriend, not her husband, but he was also the father of two of Rilish's younger brothers, and that's why he would have been able to be there as well. He was part of that family. On March 19, 2014, Mr. Wheeler was just getting back into the Washington, D.C. area after completing some work out of town. He arrived at the shelter, and in an interview with jean Hill, he talks about while smoking a cigarette before going inside He was approached by a shelter employee who told him that the authorities had Shamika in a conference room and were asking her where Relisha was, and that Shamika wasn't cooperating, so he'd better get in there quickly. And he says that he had no idea what was going on at all. Upon arriving in the room, the authorities asked Mr. Wheeler to please encourage Shamika to cooperate with them the best that he could. Because Relisha had been missing from school and social workers got involved trying to locate her to check in and make sure she was okay. And in the process of all of this, the social workers were told that Relisha was sick. So sick, in fact, that she was in a doctor's care. They had spoken to the doctor, Dr. Tatum, who had asked them to go ahead and pick up the medical records that they were requesting at the D.C. General Shelter. So this doctor was supposedly leaving them with the shelter, and the shelter actually knew nothing of the records. And even more concerning, when the social workers arrived to pick up the records that didn't exist, there was no Dr. Tatum, but there was a janitor employed at the shelter named Khalil Tatum. After begging Shamika to say something to the police to help, she told them that she had left Relisha with her mom, Melissa, and her sister, Ashley, These are Relisha's grandma and aunt, and she was probably still there with them. So hoping this would solve the mystery, the authorities go to Ashley's house, and she agrees to let them search the property for Relisha for any indication that she had recently been there, and they found none. Now, obviously, they're looking to track down Khalil Tatum as well, because according to both Shamika and Melissa, that's who Relisha was with. The thing is, though, that according to Shamika, Melissa let Relisha go with him, And according to Melissa, Shamika let Relisha go with him. Neither would Budge, I'm pointing the finger at the other. And at this point, when was the last time Relisha had even been seen? Hey, true crime fans. Can't get enough? Well, not only can you subscribe to Catherine and Intuitive on Patreon for even more murder and mediumship, some self-care, and a little bit of love, you can also join me on Clubhouse for free to discuss the previous day's episode every Tuesday at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. I'll be on for roughly half an hour to answer questions about Monday's episode. If you're not a member of Clubhouse, check the show notes for a link to sign up or head to my bio on Instagram for a link to the room. Trust me, you won't regret it. Now, back to the episode. Okay, so let's regroup here because I know this is a lot of information and it's gonna get kind of confusing really fast. But right now, it's March 20th, and mom didn't even know that her eight-year-old was missing. And frankly, I don't care who she thought Relisha was with or who she says had her last, she should have known. No mom shaming or anything like that, but you should know who your child is with, especially at this young of an age, at all times. This makes no sense to me at all, how the school didn't even try to find out what had happened until 10 unexcused absences had been reached. Well, supposedly, back in February, around the 25th, Khalil was taking Relisha to the mall to buy a bathing suit for his granddaughter's pool party, which she was going to be at one of the hotels. Now, this seems so wrong on so many levels. I mean, the janitor at the homeless shelter is taking your daughter to the mall to buy a bathing suit, which is like, Not something that anyone but her parents or like a friend maybe should be taking her to do. And also, why does the janitor have your daughter? (laughs) Literally, I cannot think of any scenario in which this is okay unless he's like her uncle. But I have also heard that Shamika claimed that Khalil was taking her to get a dress so regardless, the most reported is the bathing suit. It just is interesting to me that there's two different versions of this that don't quite add up, and it just doesn't seem okay to me. So the police were able to find footage from the Holiday Inn Express in Northeast D.C. dated February 26th. She is seen walking down the hall to their hotel room, and she doesn't look unhappy or even close to scared. She looks like she's there, I want to say somewhat willingly at least, um, Doesn't look like she's being forced to walk down the aisle. They're not even touching each other, so he's not, like, forcing her. Then there's footage of Relisha on March 1st on Shamika's Instagram account, as well as footage of Relisha at a Days Inn, also in Northeast D.C., which is pointed out on the podcast, 18 Days, which I highly recommend listening to. I had trouble finding it on Spotify, but it's definitely on iTunes. It's probably on Spotify as well, and I just couldn't find it. So... These two hotels were used for overflow housing for the homeless, and the Holiday Inn, like I said, that one was seen as well, but I'll get back to that later on in this episode. So on March 2nd, and just real quick, that March 1st where she's seen on the Instagram... I guess it's not really known if that was live footage, and I don't think there even was Instagram Live back in 2014, but it definitely could have been posted days after something happened or or whatever. Regardless, on March 2nd, Tatum is seen purchasing a box of 42-gallon self-tied contractor trash bags, a shovel, and lime. You know the cleaner. He was then spotted around Kenilworth Park and the Aquatic Gardens, Again, I will let you know what I think was really happening here in just a moment. But fast forward to March 13th now. We are still an entire week away from law enforcement becoming involved, but at this point, Relish's whereabouts are unknown to her mom and her grandma. The school notifies DC's Child and Family Services Agency because she has now missed, like I said, 10 unexcused absences from school. On March 19th, a social worker, and this is just a day before from where we started the show, March 19th, a social worker visits the shelter and is unable to find Dr. Tatum, but is able to piece together that he's not really a doctor, but a janitor at D.C. General. Relisha's family is questioned by social workers, and her grandmother is brought to the conference room as well. The next day, on March 20th, D.C. police hold a press conference, a public press conference, and make a plea to the general public for any information that may lead to the safe return of Relisha Rudd or the arrest of Khalil Tatum. It is at this time, 19, 18, 19 days later, that they finally issue an Amber Alert, okay? She has not been seen by family or friends in 18 days and they are now issuing an Amber Alert. And I understand that this school probably had plenty of children who were in situations very similar to Relisha's. I'm sure that they were in a low income area and i know i heard on one of the shows that i was listening to in my research that this was not uncommon for kids in these areas to be missing this much school and i 100% understand that but what i really don't get is how the school took that long to look into it and then in between Having this conversation with fake Dr. Tatum and going to pick up the records, there were actually nine days that passed, whether that was an arranged date or if that was just like the fastest they could get down there is unknown. But in those nine days, what could have happened? It puts a lump in my throat and hurts my stomach to think about nine days going by. And I have chills right now thinking about that. Like, God forbid something ever happened to my children in the school was my saving grace and my final like Hail Mary to find them and to know that they were safe and that doesn't happen. It's just these people are supposed to know where your children are as well. Anyway, as if that isn't enough, later that day, Khalil's wife, who he had just informed he wanted a divorce not too long ago but then was seen in a hotel with him, Khalil's wife Andrea is found dead at the Red Roof Inn in Oxen Hill She had been shot in the head, execution style, no sign of a struggle. Security cameras show that Khalil and his ex-wife checked into the hotel, just the two of them, no Relisha. But then that separate footage shows Khalil with Relisha, and no wife. And in that video, dated February 26th, Relisha and Khalil can be seen walking together down the hotel hallway, as we previously mentioned. Now, several days later, on April 1st, 2014, Khalil Tatum was found in a shed at Kenilworth Park with a self-inflicted gunshot wound to the head police were able to surmise that the gun that was used to kill Khalil Tatum was the same gun that was used to kill his wife, Andrea. And I want to note here that while on the Steve Wilkos show, because yes, they appeared on the Steve Wilkos show, and if you're not familiar, think Jerry Springer, which is actually where Steve Wilkos got his start, Shamika very clearly says, it's pretty hard to shoot yourself in the head twice which implies that Khalil had more than one gunshot wound to his head. And now maybe she was confused, maybe she has details about the shooting that we don't, since it doesn't concern the disappearance of her daughter, but every other source I've come across says he was found dead with a self-inflicted gunshot wound. Doesn't mention one or two, but I guess they say wound, which would imply One. It's hard to say what information comes from where from where in this case. And a lot of fingers are pointed and a lot of he said she said has gone around. And according to some, an unusual relationship had begun between Khalil and Shamika, but more accurately between Khalil and Relisha the 51-year-old janitor, and the 8-year-old little girl. Staff wasn't supposed to have relationships with residents, but of course, that didn't stop Khalil. And it was said that he would bring gifts to many of the kids there. And while some parents had their children avoid him as much as possible, Shamika entrusted her daughter to his care. Worth noting, she never sent any of her sons to stay with Khalil. And yes, Relisha stayed with him overnight at times, which she also denies. However, According to the podcast 18 Days, the shelter staff was interviewed and no one had seen Khalil with Relisha or with any of the residents for that matter, but why would they? They make it very clear that it would have been impossible by shelter security standards, but clearly it wasn't so impossible after all. It's also said multiple times that he never could have walked out the front door with her because the campus was rather heavily guarded and protected and again, While this may be true, it was also mentioned that there is a back entrance to the shelter that residents typically would not have used, but staff may have. By the time the Amber Alert had been issued on March 20th, no one had seen Khalil for quite some time either and wouldn't see him until they found him in the shed in Kenilworth Park, deceased. Few leads turned up in this case, and as it seemed, they had their kidnapper, and that he was dead, his wife was dead, they had no body, and they were behind 18 plus days in the investigation. Relisha was gone. But what happened? When I tapped into this case, I did so after someone had tagged me in an Instagram post on her photo, and I had already seen her face, and until I went to tap into her, I didn't realize that I had already decided she had passed. Relisha, you beautiful little girl. I am so sorry. This case hit me a little differently than any other one has so far, and frankly, it shook me for days. This is where I really want to stress that this is my ultimate goal—to bring awareness to this case and not just these causes, and or these causes, and not just yammer on about blood and guts. Because there are these are someone's loved ones, and there are loved ones who are still looking for answers. It's obvious. But I love diving into true crime. But did you know that you can also book a private reading with me? It doesn't have to be murder and missing person related. Some of my most favorite readings are ones that connect women and men to living in their empowered self. If you need clarity around a certain event in life to connect with someone on the other side or guidance in which direction you should be heading, head to www.katherinannintuitive.com and book a reading. That's K A T H. R Y N A N N intuitive. Use code MURDER for 15% off. And now, back to the episode. So I went to sit outside on my back deck and connect in the sunshine. Outside is always ideal for me if it's possible that day. I sat down with a glass of water and a notebook and pen, and for whatever reason, I asked out loud this time, Relisha, what do you have for me? What happened? And it was like a movie started playing in front of my eyes. I spend readings telling people it's not like in the movies where you see this person appear and show you every little thing that happened. But in this instance, it was so very close to that. I saw her leaving out of what looked like a back door of a building, holding the hand of an adult man. I heard the word airport which made zero sense to me whatsoever. And the vision jumped to her in the passenger seat of what I believe was a large white van. And I heard the words or something similar to them, transit van or transport van. And it was so bizarre how clear that phrase was to me, but not as bizarre as what followed. It was as if I was sitting with her in that passenger seat, looking out over the water on the passenger side. And I heard the word warehouse, hangar, warehouse as if there was some confusion over where exactly we were and the hangar kept popping into my head back to an airport and i can't decipher which it is that i'm supposed to be focusing on but at this point i asked her again out loud relisha where are you going and i don't normally ask things out loud i typically ask them in my head and i hear clear as day route 233 this was so clear that I had to whip out my phone and pull up a map of the D.C. area to see if Route 233 was even a thing over there. Lo and behold, Route 233 is a feeder road to the Reagan International Airport. And I feel very strongly that this is a case of human trafficking. And I know that police have said that they have looked at this case as it could have been human trafficking, but there were no indicators. And I have to say that that I call bullshit on that. I see Relisha and two other children in what looks like a warehouse. But when I say this, please know that I see a large white building with vehicles around, large, gr- excuse me, garage door-like openings. It looks like concrete. It looks like concrete walls. It's just cold, okay? And I see a van. Like she would have been brought in in the van. And I described earlier a white transit van, cargo van. She is alive and has a bag, like a shopping bag with her, like kind of like what you see in the footage of her in the hotel. And I'm under the impression that Khalil tricked her into thinking he was taking her to her aunt's house and really was taking her to essentially sell her. He took her to the hotel room to photograph her for his buyer, and Shamika knew that he was grooming her daughter. She looked the other way because she was compensated for it. She essentially prostituted her daughter. And it is said that Shamika even said that Relisha was with her, quote, godfather, and meant Khalil, when sources actually identify her brother-in-law, Ashley's husband, as Relisha's actual godfather. I believe she was selling her daughter to Khalil, and Khalil saw this as an opportunity to make money off of her as well. I don't believe he was the only one to ever be with her. And I believe that these hotel visits maybe didn't have other men present, but possibly she was photographed there or there was something with a camera. In some way, I'm telling you, there were more people involved. While I see them on airport property, I do not think these children actually left the country. When I connected to this image the first time, I saw Khalil so brightly and so vibrantly, and I didn't know at the time that he had been shot and killed. It, in fact, didn't even cross my mind. I wasn't looking for it as a medium for him to show up in that way. And I was seeing other people there who were still living, but looking back, being a medium, seeing him as vibrantly as he was, it was very clear to me now that he was past. Khalil's eyes locked onto mine and you could feel the evil and desperation in his soul. And it was not a comfortable energy to be near whatsoever. And I thought about connecting to him to see his side of the story and what happened, but I didn't want to get close to that energy. I'm telling you, it was probably as unsettling as the energy of Dahmer when I interviewed him for the YouTube channel, and it that was that was chilling, but this this was more aggressive, for sure. Khalil took her to the airport to finalize a transaction in which he would no longer be responsible for her and he would be compensated for it. He had filed for divorce against Andrea not too long before all of this happened, and I feel this is because he thought he would be able to like, shift careers, so to speak, and live in a different lifestyle if he delivered in this scenario, almost as if he was working his way up the ranks, so to speak. I believe that Andrea knew more than she was supposed to, and that he lured her to the hotel to kill her. The kill kit he had put together from Home Depot was going to be used to dispose of her body, but I believe she was found before he could complete that. I think he was working way out of his element and way in over his head. Furthermore, once whoever he was working for made sure that Andrea was a loose end that wouldn't need any more fixing, they got rid of him. He was undoubtedly going to be caught, and they were, as I said, tying up loose ends. I do not believe his gunshot wound was self inflicted, but rather it was made to look that way. I think he was meeting someone there about receiving payment for Relisha, and instead, they shot him. Now, yes, I realize how outlandish this sounds. I really, really do. Trafficking circles are real, though, and if you think for one second that shady cover ups don't go on, then you're kidding yourself. I do not believe this case will ever be solved because I wholeheartedly believe it will only be allowed to go so far up the chain of command before things start getting shut down. I think Khalil had an opportunity to exploit the vulnerable members of society and even more so exploit their children. I believe that he painted it to look as if he was helping the single mamas or just being a good guy, but all in all, he was setting traps left and right and unfortunately, Shamika and Relisha fell straight into one of those traps. Now don't get me wrong, I do not think Shamika's innocent here. At the very least, it blows my mind that she was never arrested for child neglect or anything like that. At this time, Relisha's case has been unsolved for seven years. Seven years. If you can find the time, please go listen to Through the Cracks and 18 Days on iTunes or Spotify. When you hear Antonio Wheeler and the ache and pain in his voice, it's gut-wrenching. He loved Relisha and her brother, even though they weren't his own. And if you have any information about the disappearance of Relisha Red, please contact D.C. Metro Police. Stay safe, you guys. Stay vigilant and be aware of your surroundings. And I'll catch you guys next time on Murder and Mediumship.